Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Welcome, welcome everyone to the very belated Halloween edition of Snark Monkey. This would have been a great interview to do right around Halloween, but I couldn't get him before then. But still, I'm not going to wait till next Halloween because the movie will be out. Uh, Snark Monkey number eight is with Seth M. Sherwood. This is a young man who has just most recently been tapped as the writer for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre prequel entitled Leatherface. Currently in pre-production, set to debut sometime next year, probably Halloween. And while you may not know his name, because he literally has been just kind of pulled out of obscurity and get this job, he's actually been toiling away, learning his craft, becoming a professional writer, well behind the scenes, and now this will be his first major credit However, his story, no matter whether you're a fan of the horror genre or not, I think you will find fascinating and inspiring. And what's really interesting about Seth, I I, I like this guy a lot, and he's such a sweet, soft-spoken soul, yet writing about such horrific terrors and horrible things. In much the same way he reminds me of like a guy like Vince Gilligan, who when you hear an interview with Vince... He's just, he's got that southern drawl, and he's just kind of so matter of fact and so laid back and writing this extreme material, at least in terms of Breaking Bad. Seth kind of reminds me of that. He's such a good guy, and he's so intelligent about looking back at what got him to where he is now. And this is a great breakthrough story, but like so many others, it seems like it's an overnight thing, and yet it has been taking years of perfecting your craft and toiling away. And we talk about that kind of blue-collar mentality you have to have, even for something creative. So you don't have to be a big fan of the uh, thrills and chills of the horror genre to get into this story, because this is a little bit of a Hollywood story and most definitely a personal story. And also the story of, yet again, another kind of creative outsider. And by the way, someone whose early D&D skills ended up paying off in the most positive way. You have to listen for that. It's coming up. So the writer of Leatherface and potentially so many other projects yet to come. Very, very cool conversation here with Seth M. Sherwood on Snark Monkey number eight. Listen, if you dare. Just, just seems so late now to be doing that crap. All right, just let's hit it. at home so are you on a time frame at yep. all 
You sure? I, I have to pick up the kid from school at six, so oh. I think I think you'll be done by then. Well, I guess if you want to put that kind of restriction <laughs> on me, go ahead and put that shove that thing right up in front of your Go face. Closer. Yeah. Talk, don't be afraid of it. It's my first microphone. Yeah, so it, we're recording, so be careful what you say here. Are these mine? These cans? I know the terms. Yeah, do you want to? You don't have to wear them. Oh, okay. Because you don't, other than all, my voice is the only thing you're there's listening not, to. There's not like more people chiming in from No, this is all you. Home. This is all you. <laughs> Until, you know, your fans track you down or your, or your haters. The haters. There are, they are out there, right? Oh, totally. But you yeah. got that right away. I got haters before anything else. I got haters before I got paid. And, I mean, that is a world, that is one of those worlds. The horror, what, what would the genre be considered? Horror. Horror. Yeah. Just straight ahead horror. Yeah. And the moment this thing was announced, they were on you like flies on shit. Yes, you can, by the way, you can say anything you want. It's the internet, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. All right. <laughs> we, we can work blue. Great. But what's um, there, is there issue the fact that the movie is going to exist at all yeah. or that you're going to mess up the... the it, I mean, there have been sequels. There have been reboots. Yeah, it's not like this. This story is pristine no. at this point. And do, we, do we say what we're talking about? We could say we, we could say we're talking about Leatherface, Texas yeah, Chainsaw Massacre. Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean that kind of goes way back to the first sequel, which was done by the original writer and director, and they just went and did a complete one eighty and decided to make like a really camp eighties horror movie, which was totally different from the original. Right. So it's kind of established early on that the sequels would just kind of do their own thing. And there's thin lines between the first three. And then there's the Matthew McConaughey remake in the 90s that right. no one likes to talk about. And then, and then, <laughs> Especially uh, Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Renee Zellweger as well. Right, right. And then... Um, <clears throat> well, that was kind of bad. You no, know, it was terrible. Yeah. Um, and then there was a remake about 10 years ago and then a prequel to that remake. Right. And then... The people who had were doing those like lost the rights, and the new people who got the rights made a direct sequel to just the original, which was the 3D one, which came out last year. And those are the people who I'm working with who yeah. are now doing a prequel. So now the continuity is just those three. But yeah, to to answer the <laughs> answer the question, people hate just think it's so muddy at this point. Like they don't even want it to do anything. But the people saying that are the people who are like, or if they end up liking it, they'll they'll be happy. Um, right. So, and and obviously, and we'll talk more about this because I want to get a little bit about how you got to, to where this happened. Because you're also, I mean, this is the first time a lot of people are hearing your name. It's, yeah. It is, this is certainly an area that you've had an interest in and you've toiled away in on kind of on your own. Um, I mean, is this a genre that you have been a fan of since you were little? Yeah, I've always been a, definitely been a horror guy and a sci-fi guy, just genre in general. I've been a you know, I've been a big fan of, um, I think what happened was my first bit of recognition was, uh, I made the blood list two years ago, which is, um, if you know, Hollywood, there's a thing called the blacklist where every year producers and production people like vote on the best script they read that hasn't been made yet. Yeah. Best unproduced script. Correct. And, and, and those are the ones that get kind of passed around between yes. agencies and assistants and then they, they get a buzz on them yeah. and the blacklist and typically a good portion of those get made after it appears. So the top five almost always end up getting made within a few years. Yeah, so the blood list... Is the horror version yeah. of that. And you appeared on that, two, I, was it two years ago? Uh, two, yeah, two, two, two years ago. And the uh, Kaylee Marsh, who runs the blood list, uh, t- took me on as a client after that. And since she was the go-to girl for horror, I mean, she gets 500 calls a day of people asking her for horror scripts. 
it behooved me to write horror for a few years. Yeah. So everything I've done in the last few years, I've, I've been horror scripts. But now that um, Leatherface went, broke me a little wide and I have, uh, you know, bigger agents, you know, I'll start expanding. <laughs> now, Le- was Leatherface <laughs> the script that got you on the blood list or was it no, something else? No, I had a script two years ago called Interstate 5 that made the blood list. Um, but Leatherface made the blood list this year. It is on the current list right yeah. now. And you told me early on when we, you, you knew we were going to talk that I, you could literally tell me nothing about Leatherface. <laughs> Plot-wise, no. But I although, mean, if, now there is a logline that obviously you must have wrote. Possibly. On the blood list. So the I'm PR going to, people could have written I'm written going it. to read that. In this prequel to the Texas... And you can tell me if this is even remotely close. Okay. Or you can refuse to answer. In this <laughs> prequel to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, a young nurse is kidnapped by four violent teens who escape from a mental hospital and take her on a road trip from hell. Pursue, of course, what other road trip would there be? Pursued by an equally deranged lawman out for revenge, one of these teens is destined for tragedy and horrors that will destroy his mind, molding him into the monster <laughs> we now call Leatherface. By the way, if the movie needs a VO guy, I was going to say, I'm so in. <laughs> um, is that even remotely close? Yes. Yes. That, yeah. That's. I mean, like in a very general, like PR you know, sensationalized sort of way. Right. I mean, if you can imagine the subtle version of that, it's, it's accurate. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that sounds like a reasonable thing to want to see is, I mean, and I think that's obviously why people are maybe a, a little bugged by the idea of it sure. is that let the mystique stand. Let's not explain why he ended up as this ridiculous, you know, evil creature. But, but then why not? You know, why not give him yeah. some kind of background? Now, I mean, it's, it's been, how many freaking years has it been since, since the original? Yes. It just celebrated the, uh, its 30th anniversary. Yes. It was like 19th, wait, no, 40th. I can't add. It was 73, <laughs> 74, 73. All right. So that's 40. Uh, is that 40 years? I think so, yeah. I, mean, I want to say 30, 90, but it's 40. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. I hate doing math. Uh, terrible. None of us were intended uh, to do neither. that. We're creative people. <laughs> I mean, there's, it's not. It wasn't a case. This wasn't a case. I mean, I get it. I get people not wanting to ruin the mystique, like not say what's behind the mask, and because he's always been kind of that that one that didn't take the mask off. Right, Whereas right. Jason and Michael Myers, Michael Myers. Like, you know, they they're always you know each movie has them popping that mask off just briefly towards the end, and Leatherface never did. So I, I I totally get it. And as a fan of the original. I get that too. I was never. I mean, I, I appreciate all the sequels, but I was never like a hardcore fan of them, like I was the original. But you are a fan of the original. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, would you call it one of your top? Oh yeah, easily yeah. top top horror movies for sure. I mean, that it probably. I think I saw it far too young. You know, probably like <laughs> nine I think or we ten. We all did. Yeah. I think with the, but that's the point. I mean, the I I think of the dark stuff that I saw as a kid. Because I don't know how I wasn't protected. I, I, we talked about this last week here in, as a group that I saw The Exorcist probably way before I oh, should yeah. have. It's, it's and that's, that stays with me. But that's kind of the, the glory of it is that it, 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 all those grim fairy tales, all those things we yeah. were read as kids, they're dark, man. It, no, for sure. And that informs us a little bit it. in a good way, I think. Oh, absolutely. It's, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I think... This is funny. I'm, I'm, uh, I like to say I'm, I'm, I'm happily divorced. My, my, uh, my BFX, my best friend, ex-wife, <laughs> she and I, uh, we're on the same page and we have, uh, a, you know, we have the same parenting plan 
kid goes back and forth weekend week with me week with her we're 100 percent together on everything we do all the you know we talk every day so he can't pull anything over on this the only thing that she and i ever disagree on is what sort of movies he can watch because if i hadn't seen chainsaw or i hadn't seen blade runner or i hadn't seen road Warrior, if i hadn't seen all these movies that were really too much for me to handle when i was his age like between seven and nine right i wouldn't be doing what i do now i wouldn't be this interested in movies if they hadn't warped me at that early age. Right. But I told her, like, <laughs> well, I consider Blade Runner. You're not doing yourself any favor by no. saying you were warped by them, by the no, way. No. Well, <laughs> but I mean, it, it built in an obsession early on. Like, Blade Runner, I probably consider Blade Runner my favorite movie. And I saw that, and it gave me nightmares the first time I saw it. And, like, it, would, it scared me. Yeah. I, I was terrifying. No, there's but some I kept disturbing images. coming back to it. Yes. And, like... Now, see, I think about that, too, because I am... I like to think I'm one of the more well-adjusted people I know. <laughs> you know, I've never... Yeah. You know what? Calm down. <laughs> um, but I, when I was growing up, I had this thing. I was... I, would, I, was a, I, I loved all the old horror films. Those images... The early Universal stuff, Frankenstein, the Werewolf, and stuff, loved those. I was really fascinated by gangsters. I would read books about Capone, and I I watched the old Untouchable series, and I'd go find out the real story behind, you know, Frank Nitti and and all those guys. uh, Bonnie and Clyde, um, and like World War II era stuff. And this, I don't want to get in trouble here, but I was curious about the Nazis. And I think to me, (laughs) it was this fascination with evil based upon. Well, how, how does that come about? What part of the human psyche yeah. makes that happen? And I think when I kind of really delved into one of my probably my favorite book, Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad, sure. um, to me, I'm, it's not that I want to be any of those people. No, but I'm I'm really curious about what is it that makes the human a, a human being go that direction what pushes him that way is it truly just something as simple as built-in evil in their soul and it's of course it's usually not i mean there are insane people right. uh, and there are people who are kind of touched by the devil that we can never explain right but that's not it no um so so I, and I, like i say i'm trying to convince people that i turned out normal here i go <laughs> hey gangsters nazis and monsters Woo! i think it's kind of like People blaming video games for, you know, school shootings or something like there's something wrong with somebody. There's something wrong with somebody. And they're going to they're going to take their inspiration from whatever form of media they're obsessed with. I think for normal people, though, my my girlfriend, for example, does not like horror movies. And she runs a she has her own uh, greeting card gift company and writes these, you know, very funny, beautiful like love message type cards. Right. And I do the exact opposite by <laughs> writing scary movies. <laughs> so and, you guys were meant to be. Oh together. yeah, clearly. I mean, we agree on everything else. It's just, <laughs> we just don't do each other's thing. Um, but you know, she, I've talked with her about it. Like, I'm like, why don't you like the horror movies? And to her, it's like the world is already bad. Like I've, you know, bad things have happened to me, bad things have happened to my friends, sad things, angry things. Why, why would you want to like, you know, celebrate that? Um, and then to me, when I what I my response to that is, well, it's it's like it's like riding a roller coaster. Like you know you're going to be scared, but there's a certain amount of fun because in the back of your head you know it's not real. You know you're safe. You know you're safe. Yeah. It's an, it's a form of a, escapism. Yes. Like you know I will go play 
Grand Theft Auto on occasion and, you know, run people over and blow things up. That doesn't mean I really want to do it, of course. Right. Um, this argument was lost on my girlfriend, by the way, because she's also motion sickness and can't go on roller coasters. <laughs> but I think actually your girlfriend and I are pretty much in the same boat. <laughs> I mean, I have a difficult time with horror films. I, I don't seek them out. I do. I am not one of those people yeah. that go on opening day. If I hear that artistically they they are very satisfying and they've got that kind of reputation, I will go. And I still to this day kind of have to look away at the the most tense moments. Gore, I, yeah. I just do. The tense or the, ten- the tension or the gore or both. Oh, gore is fine. It's okay. tension that yeah, I have yeah. trouble with. Yeah. And and to me that's what's that's best. What's scary. That's what's best about any of those yeah. movies. I, I in fact, I mean I I I I tend to not gravitate to the gore because I just think that's too cheap. That's too easy. It's easy. Totally. I mean easy. The, one of the most you know I hear it goes I go into the cinephile file. Um the Wages of Fear mm-hmm. uh, and and Sorcerer was based on that yeah. later. Um, the Wages of Fear is one of the most terrifying movies in the world to me because it it, it builds this tension that is unbearable. It's guys driving a truck of nitroglycerin across the <laughs> roughest road you've ever seen, right. and there are moments in that film that make me bananas, yeah. and I can't I can't sit in my seat and watch that movie. To me, that is way more effective oh, than just sure. some head exploding. It's funny because I do likes me a good head you know, exploding. If, if it's done well. Yeah, it's, you know, if the guy's a good splatter range, it's fun. <laughs> um, but that's funny because a lot of people think of. They hear Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like the original. And it, it had this reputation as just the goriest, scariest thing oh. for the longest time. But the original actually has very little gore in it. No. It, it's, it, and a lot of it's... It's w- just intense. Yeah. Um, to me, the image that stays with me about that film is, the I guess, the first big moment of... of what is it? He hit the the girl. He gets hit in the head by something. He drags her off, and a door slams. Yeah, it's basically. a guy. And yeah, it's the kind first. Of the, it's it's the first kill, and it's like twenty minutes in. And it's yeah. very slow up to that point. Right. And the guy basically just rounds a corner, and there he is, and he hits him on there with the hammer, drags him in, and slams the door. And, and the mo- and, and I, I literally just talking about it, I got chills <laughs> because that and that's 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 a violent moment for sure. Yeah. But there's not a splash of blood. There's no. not anything. It's the it's the mise en scene. Yes. <laughs> I know you've been talking to French of, people of, all of morning. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes, it is that. It is the. It is the visual, and it is that 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 light being closed off as the door. Mm-hmm. Clo- uh, totally memorable, and that's yeah. that to me is what that movie's about. Yeah, and and yeah, I can't I can't add to that. That's, that's the best <laughs> way. To, that's yeah, the brilliant way to say it. So let's 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 kind of go all the way back since we mm-hmm. talked about you know our childhood and that sort of stuff. First of all, where are you from? Portland, Oregon. Portland. And I guess you could say that's a little bit of a dark place. The cliche is is not quite as Seattle-y. Uh, no, but, uh, no. But, you know, you have your rainy side. You have your dark sure. side. How long did you live there? Um, well, I, I kind of bounced back and forth between Portland and Seattle for most of my childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, I really I kind of consider myself an L.A. person. I've been here for almost 16 years. Right. So at, the, at this point, I've lived here longer than either Portland or Seattle, where I'm from. Why were you bouncing back and forth? I did, my parents and family were in two different cities. All right. So, you know, live in one, go to vacation in the other, and then after a few years, that arrangement was switched. What kind of kid were you? Uh, I was very good, very quiet, very uh, introverted. I mean, I had my friends, that's for sure, but uh, I was definitely like, I liked staying in my room and writing stories or building things or... When, making making things up. And, when do you remember first kind of doing that? What was what was the first story you write or uh, wrote? Or 
it's funny. I like uh, second. I remember winning a contest in the second grade for like a one page story. Um, but I, I didn't think about being, I mean, I've done so many other things, which is you know, how I know you because I was doing many other things here. Yeah. You can't see what I'm waving to <laughs> in this building. In this building. Um, you were a, uh, what, your title here was, well, what were you? I was a desi- designer. Like a designer? Yeah. Graphic like, designer? Graphic designer. Yeah. And, um, and that's a field I worked in for many years. And I didn't think about myself as a writer for a very long time. But after after finally being able to do it more, and it's kind of just been my focus for the last three or four years, looking back, I can see where I was actually learning and writing at a much younger age than I, than I realized. And that's, writing that story in second grade was the first one I really remember, but I know I was doing it after that. And then when I was probably about my son's age, like around nine, 10, 11, I was, you know, a D and D kid for a while. And like, I realized like looking back that like, I didn't really care for the strategy and the rolling of the dice and the make I really was into like making the stories. The storytelling. And like, I liked running the games and like making stories up. And I did that on and off, you know, up through my teens and, and looking back on it, it was really more about like making up a story and throwing it at people than it was about playing a game. It's interesting now that um, some of the D&D players, I mean, because you, you were definitely part of a crowd that was shunned by most <laughs> of the sure. rest of No, the... but now they're big. Yeah, but now a lot of those guys are in a place where they can say, yes, I played it. I still play it. D&D and look Prime. at me. You know, yeah. uh, uh, Chris Hardwick, yep. you know, maintains that, you know, very big into D&D when he was growing oh, up. Oh, yeah. No, there's there's um, a little bit of pride. The nerds have won enough cachet <laughs> that they can, they can fly their nerd flag so did you gravitate to scary stories right away did you do no, that i think no? um, i was Fantasy? mostly sci-fi guy yeah probably when i was younger i definitely i mean i grew up in the star wars era so i mean i couldn't not be a star wars kid is that the movie i mean is that the one that that kind of did something deep inside your soul deep inside my soul in terms of like me thinking i wanted to make my own worlds absolutely yeah. and i know it was that for a lot of people in terms of Looking at it as a as a nuanced writer, Blade Runner was more, that, Runner. more that movie, and I didn't. But I didn't realize that till much later. Whereas Star Wars inspired me very early on. Well, Blade Runner did a great job of kind of following up that that star. For me, it was Star Wars, um, definitely. But Alien, um, and what really Scott did with the look of that film and the yeah. pace of that film. Um, not even so, again, not even so much the scares or any of that. And, and of course, certainly the chestburster. Spoiler alert, by the way. Like nobody, 30, like 40 anybody. Years later. Yes, yeah. I know. By the way, the the being comes out of some guy's chest. Okay, there and and Rosebud is the it. sled. Oh my god! Um, that certainly was a jolting moment. But sure. more than anything, it was just that we kind of hadn't seen anything like that before, and and everything that builds to that. No, and that was a that was a great. I mean, Blade Runner and Alien both are great genre mashers where they take. The setting, one a setting you're familiar with, and throw in a plot that you would be familiar with by itself, yes. but not together. Like Alien was, you know, just a haunted house movie. It was. It was just it was a, on a spaceship. scary creature story. And Blade yeah. Runner was a detective story, but right. you know, in the future. Yeah, and also the world that he created. Obviously, he had the chance to kind of even expand that world even more because he had more money to work with sure. on Blade Runner. Yeah, and created a look that people are still. That is the blueprint for uh, no, a futuristic look. Absolutely. I mean, that movie it's it's unrivaled. The production design for that is like yeah. still like the standard yeah. for dark future to this day. Um, and Rutger Hauer, I, I assume <laughs> that that character is the one that scared the crap out of you. Or, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. It was that that final. 
it's so funny. It's you call it a fight scene, but like confrontation. But by today's standards, it'd, it'd be the most. No one would stand for it today. They'd think it was so boring. But it, where they're but, just chasing each other around the building and yeah. But it's a little more. That still feels kind of. I mean, because of that. It's still very unsettling because it feels organic and it doesn't oh, have, it, at least in my memory, it doesn't have, it doesn't have no, that. No, exactly. It's, it, it kind of, a lot of it happens in silence. It's mm-hmm. the sound of the rain falling yeah. and dripping and the, and oh, the water coming off his nose. Totally and, masterful. And, like, yeah. and, and when I say like no one would stand for it today, I mean like audiences couldn't handle <laughs> that slow of a you know, yeah. finale at this point. And, you know, kind of an anticlimactic one. But for that story, it's brilliant and works perfectly. And, and but that's and, what stuck with me. And that's yeah. what kind of scared me. Um, and, and and the Zora, the one he shoots, who, like, falls through all the plate glass windows. Right. That was a visual that, like, stuck with me and haunted me for a while. But then after a while, just thinking them over and over in my head, they started working their way into my own like fake world, my own fake play worlds as a kid. And I slowly got over the fear by like incorporating them in a way. Not to get too armchair psychologist on you, but anything about, you know, a a broken family or were you an outcast? I mean, were you labeled a nerd right away? Was there anything about that world that allowed you to just kind of, it was just a pure escapism for you as well? Um, I don't, I don't know if it was that. I mean, there's, I mean, sure there's some of that. Um, But I think, I think more it was just uh, being creatively driven. Like mm-hmm. I really, I always have felt the need to be creative. And, um, you know, the, the the question I get asked, and, you know, if you were if you were going to ask this question, shame on you, but for now I'll congratulate you for not asking it. Yes. But I get asked frequently, especially now, like, you know, what's the, how do you, how, what's the secret? Like, how do you, how do you make it in like Hollywood? <laughs> and like my answer is write every day for 10 years. Right. And no one likes that answer. Um, well, that's actually we were going to get. I mean, we are going to get to that because <laughs> one of the things that I have talked about, and this is going to start to bug people if anybody's actually listening to these, is is my point has has always been work ethic is way more important than almost anything, and anything that is else. a relentless absolutely, and it sounds so not sexy because you are sexy. This over, yes, you are very sexy. <laughs> You are, in fact, I believe they're referring to you in most of the press as sexy Seth Sherwood because it's the man where the hate's coming from. The alliteration is so good. Uh, you need to drop that M out of there because yeah. that's messing things up. I had up. to put the M in there. Otherwise, people think I'm the writer from the New York Times. Right. And he probably doesn't necessarily want to be associated no. with Leatherface. And I don't want to I mean, I'll be glad if people call me up and want to give me like free hotels. And right, right. If they think I'm him, that's great. But. What does the M stand for, by the way? Matthew. Oh, God, I was hoping for something really gross, Methuselah or something. I should say that. Oh, yes, Methuselah. Would you please (laughs) use that in your next interview? But no, Um, I wasn't going to ask you that because I think that, to me, that's obvious, but it is something worth underlining, and it's not not an answer that I I don't like. It's an answer I love because it's one that resonates with me, which is you kind of have to do do this. You have to do this. And what my point was that you may have kind of – shown up on the radar out of the blue as an overnight sensation of some sort. Because if you look at your IMDb, there's <laughs> no, not there's a lot. Lo- a couple things on there. Yeah, there's yeah. just a few things and not anywhere near at this level. But yeah. the fact is, everybody, there are, there, the, the percentage of that getting discovered at Schwab's and you know being taken <laughs> to the studio, those stories are a tiny percentage of what Absolutely. the reality is. Absolutely. And that's, if there's like one, I teach, teach screenwriting on the side and that's part of my big dream killer speech that I give them because usually the follow-up to like Which, by a, the way is another movie you're working yes, on dream right. killer after the the follow-up to telling people you have to write every day from 10 years is like if they if they can stand that answer they're like well how do you 
how do you uh, how do you get into that habit? How do you how do you get yourself to write every day? And to me, the answer and this goes back to what you're saying about my childhood is that I, it's never been. I've never wake up being like, oh, I gotta go write. It's a, it's more of a compulsion. Like if I don't, if I go more than like a few days without doing some sort of writing, I start feeling really uh, tense. Like I'm doing something wrong and like stressed out. Like I don't know, like I'm doing something wrong with my life. Yeah. I beat myself up pretty bad because I have this same habit going on. And I, you also have 20 jobs. Yeah, well, that's the, and that's difficult. And and that's the other thing is to find it within yourself to be so disciplined to know that you yeah. do have to ignore family and you do have to, sure. you know, not watch your favorite TV show for maybe like four that, or five weeks. <laughs> that, I mean, like, you know, you're absolutely correct. And like, I, I've always been compulsed to be creative. Um, but you can teach yourself a schedule yeah. sort. And like, uh, TV, I, when my, uh, when the BFX was pregnant, that my, my, you know, I was writing and I would write chunks and then I wouldn't for a while and then I would again. So I was still com- compelled to do it. Um, I think I said compulsed. That's totally not the word. Compelled. Um, well, but there was something for the, the trolls to right, jump on I right know, there. Sure. How, they, how can he write a screenplay when he can't even form a sentence with proper grammar? Oh, my God. So, yeah, so he would <laughs> – so, uh, so I would, you know, have these chunks where I wasn't writing. But when she was pregnant, my thought – I had this thought that, like, that kid's going to get here and I'm not going to have time to do anything. Right. So that – the summer that she was pregnant, I, I just – I started writing every day to get myself into that habit instead of doing it in chunks of you. So you can, you can definitely teach yourself right. that, but there, the base, there still needs to be a base level like need to do it. You know, are you, I, are you one of those writers that I, I find that most people are like me and they find the process interminable and agonizing. But once, I mean, once I do it and once I get into it and once I've been going, cause hours can slip by and you just don't realize it. It is ultimately so satisfying that you've gotten anything on the page but to get myself to that point is it, it it's maddening i to to make myself the discipline i think for me is mm-hmm. maybe the hardest part i don't yeah i don't have that problem anymore okay. i think i mean fuck you <laughs> but that's taught like once i got to once i quit the job i had here in this building to focus on writing, which was a nine to five, and that's a yeah. misnomer because it's more no, like and, a and, and what nine you to say, seven. And what you say about you know you're looking at people's IMDb profiles and saying, oh my god, he made his first movie when he was 24, and I'm still at this. That's that's not the norm. Most people I know who are working in it, it's it's a it's a blue collar slog that requires just as much work as a day job, and it takes a long time before you know you're making an income off of it. Yeah. Um, and it's an emotional toll too. I mean, oh you, God, you yeah. or any writer is giving a little something of themselves, uh, having to kind of dredge up stuff. It's not just imagination and fantasy. There's also you're tra- if you're any good at it, you're trying to find something that is personal, whether you yeah. can relate to it or not. You've never been a serial killer, mm. as far as we no. know. Uh, unless the is there a statute? Not of in the state. Not okay. in the state. Oh, okay. Mm. All right. We'll have to look up the police record in Oregon, <laughs> perhaps. Um, or Washington, it could be either. It 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 it's it seems silly to try and defend it as as something that's difficult, but it 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 can be exhausting, right? Yeah, not, yeah for sure. Or am I the only one that's no, and goes, no? I think Ugh. I think I mean it depends on what it is. You can put yourself. To, I mean, I just had a I just came back from London. I was doing like a script doctor 
bit on a movie that I can't. This say is the, the name thing of. you can't talk about. Yeah. Can I talk about it uh, to yourself? Sure, <laughs> quietly <laughs> in your head. Can we ever talk um, about it? Um, maybe day? after it's come out and all the checks have cleared and we know it's done, then maybe we can. I'll have you back for part two when <laughs> Leatherface is about to be released, and maybe by then uh, we can tell that story, because it's a great story. Yeah. But that was a case where, I mean, that was not, it was a movie that I didn't write initially. It wasn't my concept. It was my story. I came in to fix it, because it was in trouble. And, like, that's a case to where it wasn't a lot of me personally in it. Right. Um, I worked with a director, and he, he was putting some of himself personally in it, and we found some, you know, commonality that we both, you know, he's got a new kid and my kid's relatively young and we, you know, we put some of that in there. So you find things, but like in terms of that one being emotionally investing, no, that was work. That was me being like the world's best word processor, like with, you know, that could fill in ideas for That just you. felt like a job. Yeah. That was the, the, the quintessential well, not that I, Zero complaints, by the right. way, about it being a job. It was a great experience. I've never seen a movie it's a big movie and it's on a you know a large scale and it's down to the last four weeks of pre-production and like i just never seen like you know met every department head and saw them doing their things and you know my job being going on a location scout and reworking an action scene be- based, based on the... what they were the, the stunt guy and the oh, effects wow. guy were choreographing so that was that was a lot of fun but then there's our my movies like my, my original stuff you know it definitely has a lot has a more of me invested in them. But that's one of the things that once you become kind of professional at it, not, you know, I hate calling myself professional, um, <laughs> but that's when you... Sorry, you're just going to have to deal I with know, it. I know, I know. I, I know. I've, <laughs> I've been paid enough now that I can be technically be professional. It's that, that, that you know, the 10,000 hours thing, once you've, you've put in that 10,000 hours at any given skill, you're a pro at it. Right. There's different muscles. I mean, there's like the script doctoring, not my idea muscle. There's the yeah, you know, that can feel like factory work. In absolutely, a way. and yeah. like, um, but not, not factory work that I would ever be depressed or no bad to take. No, but it, but um, it, but it is as a hired gun. You're working with somebody else's product, and sure. you and you have to shape it in the way that they they expect and hope yeah. that you can put your own flair on it. And you still right. want to make it good. But it, it's when it's not your original vision, it just has a different feel to no, it. No, correct. And but I mean, that's part of the part of the fun of the skill set too is i i love the uh and we i hate math but i love story algebra if that makes sense right, like right when i got there it was like well, we know we have to shoot on this street and we have this car and we have to get from here to here and this needs to happen with the plot so like we have seven we have 19 what is x you know and like figuring that out is, is fun i find that fun and that's where the the challenge comes in of like you know so it's still it's still a good thing to do even if it's not my story. I've never quite thought of that before of, of basically being given here's the scenario we have to have this same kind of thing happen in the plot but this is these are the handcuffs we have based upon yeah. the location that we've got and the time that we've got, got to do the it. The money we have and yeah. what the actor is willing to do. What so his... can you still make basically <laughs> the same thing happen but with these parameters yeah, go. Exactly. <laughs> and it's fun and it's fun to be it's fun to do it and it's also, you know, it feels satisfying to be the guy that they trust to do to do that. Mm. Um and it's it's the same production company as Leatherface and basically they were like you did, you know, you killed it here, we we could really use help here. Yeah. Um and it's cool to be that that person. So it, it's still rewarding even if it's not as emotionally investing right. and it's not as exhausting. Let's jump back again to uh forgive me in in the kind of grand scheme of things I guess on a, in a script this would be flashback mm-hmm. time. Uh <laughs> your origin story. Let's go back yes. and do that. Let's follow that path. Um so 
You get out of high school. Did you go to college? Did I you? Did. What did you major? Uh, my under, I went to undergraduate school in Portland. I went to art school to be a designer. That was my first career path. I wanted to be, I wanted to be in film school, but they, uh, there wasn't at the time. This is the the early nineties. I'll date myself. Early nineties. You could go to film school at uh, NYU, UCLA, or USC. Yeah. It's not like it is now. Uh, and that wasn't. By the way, that's the way it was. I went to USC, and this was 1980, and it was the same thing. Those were the three. Yeah. That was the only three anybody talked about. Yeah, and so that wasn't an option <laughs> for me. Uh, I went to art school. I became a designer, a photographer. Uh, my mom's a photographer, so I really just kind of did that for a few years. And it was then that I. What did your dad do, by the way? My dad. Uh, he's bounced around a few things. He's, yeah. Uh, he's currently a like a IT guy. Okay. Um, he was a photographer for a while, too. He's creative as well. So you got creative and a little bit of tech kind of in the yeah. background, in the DNA. Yeah. I mean, I really I got into design right when Photoshop came into existence. Like, I started with 1.5, I think. Um, <laughs> and, like, that that spoke to me in some strange way. So the visual was definitely a part of things. Visual's and that always makes been a sense with it. Blade Runner, too, because, yeah. because of just the overpowering, you know, visual sense of that. Yeah. No, I've always had a very strong visual uh, you know, aspect to my creativity. Um, so where'd you end up after? So yeah, that was uh, art school was there. And then it was when I started working as a designer that I realized that uh, all my creative, my creative outlet had become my job. So, and that's when I started, uh, that's kind of like when I refocused myself on specifically writing words on a page, mm-hmm. like all those things I talked about, like knowing, looking back, I know I was like telling stories in different ways. But once it was once I started working as a designer that I needed a creative outlet that was not a job that I started writing specifically. And after about I was only took about a year of doing that. And then I realized that I really wanted to focus on writing. So then I moved to L.A. to go to grad school at CalArts uh, for writing. Oh, okay. And then um, the entire time, if I had <laughs> if I'd done writing first and I'd been willing to be like a starving writer, I probably would have gotten further in my career sooner. But I was already working as a designer, and I was making money. Yeah. So I and a family, and, and I mean, look, yeah. the, you know, I think this is the other thing I'm finding is the path is the path. You know, it, for sure. It's some people like to call. I mean, I like to tell people I have reinvented myself with a podcast. But <laughs> but the fact <laughs> is, this is just this out of kind of frustration of needing to find a way to control the content that I want to do. Actually, yeah. have an outlet to do it. And it not really costs that much. And and to me, this is great because I find every one of these conversations inspiring in their own way okay. of people who have created their own work. And, right. and this is, again, the, maybe it's because of the subjects that I gravitate to, but it also seems to be the people who have reached a certain level of whatever their world is is based upon what we talked about before, the work ethic, that yeah. 10 years of whatever it takes to just do it, do it, do it, do yeah. it. Um, there's usually a champion. There's usually kind of a figure involved that gives you that leg up, that believes in you when when there were a series of no's and no's and no's over and over. Oh, over for again. sure, for sure. I, I'm, I'm guessing you have one of those. I do, yeah, I've had a couple. I think that uh, for a long time it was all my writing teachers who were, you know, you know, would pull me aside and say, "You keep doing what they you're doing." They saw something. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that that you know that 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 got me a long way. And so I finally got my, my first manager and she was very encouraging and kept me going. And then, uh, you know, handed me off to my second man. Well, once I, the bloodless, my second manager who I'm still with, you know, she became that cheerleader for, you know, and even after making that bloodless, we were still, we still had a year of bouncing around. I started calling it a uh, living blip to blip where <laughs> you, uh, 
you struggle, you got nothing. You you finally get like a good meeting or or a, a spark of interest, and that kind of reinvigorates you to feeling like okay, I can do this. And it may not work out, and it usually doesn't. And then by the time you start feeling depressed again, you get another blip. That's something we're talking about, and and that's another thing you probably get asked a lot because this business, no matter whether you're an actor or a writer or a director or whatever, is filled with. You know, non-movement. Yes, <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. I've got. I can say this. And I, I don't know if this is humble bragging or not, but there's a script that I worked on with this couple that got into CAA. It got into a very good place at mm-hmm. CAA in the TV department, and it's been there for like six years now. That's what I and, yeah. and every couple of years, somebody else, like the regimes change and the yep. names change, somebody else discovers it and goes, "Oh wow, this is we're going to put this out there," which makes me feel. Good, sure. but I have zero control over that. I am not represented by CAA. Right. I do not have an, a a champion in there except for the fact that my name is on this thing right. that gets passed around, and then it's just this dark hole of waiting. <laughs> and so, so how do you find a way to kind of set that aside and not get too caught up in that and not have too high expectations while hoping that something comes together? That, that's that was probably honestly the hardest part yeah. of of this path. Of writing movies because you get the glimmer of hope. You do, and you, and, and you know, and you and you and you know people who do well, and you, you know, you're like, oh, that's great for you. You know, you're my friend. I'm so glad you're doing well. Like, God, I hate you. You know, you're like, you just you can't help jealousy. it, right? Oh no, you can't help it. I mean, yeah. Like, like I've had so many friends I you know were, were was jealous of, and you know, you do genuinely feel good for them. Sure, but and fuck then that. The, I mean, <laughs> well, or it's the part of it is, oh, really? Can you help me? Yeah. What can you do for and me? I and I'm not good at that being that guy. I was yeah. never good. That's and that's where having a manager helped immensely. Um, and like, because I know people, I've worked with people, and I'm sure anybody in LA knows people. There are people who are hustle, who don't really do the work. They just hustle. They go to parties. They talk to people. Network. They network. Oh right. yeah. And like, I suck at that. I'm not good at schmoozing. It's like, you know, if you think it's bad to like, I've always thought as a a kid, as a teenager, uh, after 21, of course, going to bars and seeing a girl and like, I'm going to go up to her and talk to her, but she knows I'm coming up to talk to her because like, I want to get with her. And like, I can't, like, it's just like a stupid game we're both going to play where I pretend like we're making conversation. She knows what I want. I know that she knows what I want. And it's, so you've made this whole scenario, you've written this whole scenario uh, already in your head yeah. before anything it's, even happens. And it's terrible. It's like that. That's how I feel. It's just, I'm not going to go talk to so-and-so producer because he knows why I'm coming to talk to him. And, and so again, it comes and you know, those, those people who hustle, they can do stuff, they can do things, but they don't have the longevity. And like, I try to like be comforting the fact that if I had gotten this level of, of the lo- level of, of quote unquote success, small success that I've had in the last four months, uh, if I'd had that at age 25, I would have just, I would have, I would have been doing terrible. I would, I mean, I would just been, Bad case. Yeah, I see. Uh, you know, I I got out of film school and was not prepared to go into the business at all. Yeah. I, I knew that, but I did see guys who were able to get, who, you know, who got hooked up with Spielberg right away and and um, uh, and yeah. and had their little moment, and then immediately struggled because they they were. I mean, twenty four years old, and you're hanging with Spielberg and your heroes. Where do you and, go? And you yeah. are suddenly in the mix of all this stuff, but you. How do you live up to that? I mean, very few people can. No, there's there's quite a few people who and and this you know connects back to your your base question of how do you how do you manage that the you keep the disappointment going? Yeah, you have to keep yourself going. And to me, that's where just having that work ethic came from. Like just sitting there and doing the work and not stopping. Like I would you know have a meeting, 
potential something, then nothing, be depressed, and then like want to quit, and then be like, wait, no, but I got this idea. And that's, that's you can't have one idea. That's part of my dream killer speech to my students. You can't have one idea. Yeah, um, yeah your whole career can't rest on that one no. thing. So, I mean, it's, it actually ended up working out for me because what happened was is I went all that time just continually writing new scripts. I think I wrote like probably seven or eight scripts that never got read. In the never, span of how never long? Will. In that 10 years. Okay. I, I, 10 years, I just, I, I rounded off. But I graduated uh, from grad school, I think 2002. And it was about three, yeah, it was about 2000. It was about 10 years of writing, being disappointed, not really going anywhere. But I was not, not networking. I didn't really know anybody, even though I lived in LA. It's kind of hard not to, but like I'm not kind of a shut in. So I wasn't going to parties. I wasn't meeting people, but I was writing. And I got, I wrote those seven or eight scripts that no one will ever see, but it took me that many to where I finally knew what I was doing. Um, Are they really the kind of scripts you would never show anybody? Or would, I mean, would, I mine them for material yeah. constantly. They're not terrible. The original idea is good enough to maybe revive. A couple of, a couple of them I've rewritten from scratch, yeah. and they've got, and they, you know, they they seem to be, you know, getting some traction. Um, but like it, it, it comes back to that work ethic. If you honestly, you will get past the those that bit of depression and that feeling. If you are, like I said, if you are compelled to do it, you're gonna, you're not gonna give up. And like, I mean, I, I don't know how many times I said I got to quit. And the people you were asking about were at first my BFX. Like she, she, I mean, I, she's probably X, the X part of it probably comes from the fact that I was so honed in on writing that I did not pay, give enough attention to her when I should have. I will totally admit that. Yeah. Um, but then like my teachers and then my first manager and then my current manager, all these people at some point I said, I, I can't do this. I'm like, I can't handle this disappointment anymore. I'm tired of like working so hard and not having anything. And it got really hard. The last, just the last few years, right before it got good, it was really bad. And that I'd quit my job in this building. <laughs> and uh, I was free. You did, so you did, you did quit specifically with the idea, I have to have the time to pursue this it, now. I was in a position to where uh, my girlfriend and I were moving in with each other. Uh, so I was saving, saving on rent and bills a little bit. And she was transitioning from you know, a very good uh, career uh, writing uh, television commercials into starting her gift company. And she was at a good point where she was financially stable. And she was seeing me like work all day and write all night. And, you know, with already one marriage down and I didn't want to like make the same mistakes. So she saw how, you know, I was being spread thin and she's like, I think we're good if you want to like quit your job. I think we'll be good for a while if you got a couple freelance clients signed up. So I quit, you know, I quit the job in this building and <laughs> continue to do freelance work for this building on the side, you know, right, here and there. Right. And I had a couple other clients. So I had like two or three good design slash video production clients that I would do things for. And that kept me, you know, floating right on the verge right. uh, with her help. And well, I think that speaks to another aspect of, of what we're talking about here is that sacrifice comes yeah, into it at some point. And, and in your case, it was. The sacrifice of a relationship, whether that would have worked out down the line or it, not. I mean, obviously, you guys are in a good place. You, yeah. you share a child. You're a very good father. I see all your Facebook stuff, other than the <laughs> fact that you probably put way too much of them on Facebook. Oh, but come uh, on. Who doesn't? <laughs> it's the new At least era. my kid's cool. He's good looking and he's your cool. Your kid is so cool. He's good looking. He's a skater. He plays his little bass guitar. I mean, if I had like an ugly baby and I was putting it up on Facebook, that'd be terrible. Your kid studies with a Devo hat on. Yeah, he, he's, he and it sleeps with a boxing glove on. He's weird. He's just a weird kid. Um, no, but she but and you, I... But, she but and it's I, either a sacrifice 
it's either sacrifice something in your relationship or in your work or in your sleep or in your you know personal life. You have There's, to find the time if you're gonna if you're gonna you're put in up something. If you're gonna put in those ten thousand hours, something has to give somewhere. You can't. You, you got if it's not your full time job. Now I'm at the point where it is my full time job. So just it just exponentially, I'm you know getting more experience and getting better at what I do every day. But I can still like stop and quit at six o'clock and go in the house right you know and i work because to to make it your full-time job that then that does become i mean how so now that it is how do you maintain that drive that hunger i mean it it, now it's now it is your profession now you are a professional thank you it's the same thing it's still being compelled like i i I have no shortage uh, of ideas um and i don't mean to make I don't want to sound like, you know, like a douchebag saying like, I have so many ideas. Um, but I think that's part <laughs> because of Because they it. will run and out. Then, and like, I, like get back, what I said, what I tell my students, you can't, you can't have that one idea. If you are, I mean, like, I, I don't want to, I don't like talking bad about anyone because I'm in a point in my life where I'm incredibly grateful for no, every, but let's do every single thing. Um, Donnie Darko is a great example of writer, director, 24 years old. And that movie came out, was amazing. And then he, where does he go from there? He had, like, there was so much pressure on him to be amazing. And where he, did he go? Uh, he did Southland Tales, which was, which was kind of a catastrophe. Yeah. I liked it, but most people didn't. And he's, you know, he's done other stuff since then, for sure. Um, but nothing on the level of getting that kind of attention. That, and, right. And, that and was it an, did show a visual sense, and it showed a kind of a, a tone that nobody had ever seen before, and a lot of people didn't yeah. know what to make of it. And it certainly has become a cult film, but he but he, you're right. He didn't have anything. He didn't. He didn't go have like a Spielberg career. He didn't go have like a career with longevity with like solid movies one after another. Um, but he's. I mean, but he has done good stuff. And I've met him before, and he's a nice guy. So I don't want to say anything right. bad about him. No, no, no. It's not. But I think bad. he'd agree that like it's really hard to do that. When I, the Dream Killer speech that I give my friends or my students, is that a lot of them come in thinking I have this one great idea that I've been working on and off on for years. It's. Usually it's their version of Star Wars or their version of of their popular movie. And they think they're going to be able to sell that for a million dollars, retain full creative control, and be set. And it does not work like that. Mm -hmm. It's it's just as much of a blue-collar slog. You can't have one idea. If you have one idea and you go in and you pitch it, the guy, you know, whoever you're pitching to will be like, that's great. What else you got? I mean, that's, right. it's not a case. There's no, there, there is no one in Hollywood, no producer, development executive or studio that's just sitting by saying, God, I wish a good idea would come my way. There's no shortage of ideas. Right. What it is, it's not, that's not what you pitch to you. What you're pitching to is I have this amount of money. I need to shoot this place. I need to make a movie for this much. It needs to be at this end. It goes back to that, that algebra that I'm talking about. None of them are looking for a good idea. What they're looking for is what will fit right. what they have available to them to make a movie, whether it's a star or whether it's a director, or whether it's a location, whether it's a dollar amount. It's they the same have, thing that actors go through who have to walk away from auditions going, that wasn't about me. That was about my height or my hair, hair color or I didn't, I didn't fit the outfit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you have to walk away going, uh, you know, my five things that I pitched didn't fit the criteria yeah. that these guys were looking for. It doesn't mean that I don't have the ability or the, or the creativity uh, exactly. to do it. And, and like, you know, I'd say on the average pitch meeting I go to, I pitch at least three or four things. Mm-hmm. And but you have how many ready to go? How many uh, that you feel comfortable talking about? It varies at the moment. Like pitches, I probably have a good seven or eight just in, really? idea, in idea form. Yeah. Um, 
finished scripts that don't have anything attached to them. I think I have two at the moment. Right. Um, and then I have like another two or three that are in shopping agreements or basically being packaged that aren't solid yet. Yeah. And then I have a couple that have like been set up that we're just waiting to move forward on. But the stuff um, that has that hasn't gotten traction anywhere, those are things you have to at least feel comfortable enough with to say these are good enough that yeah. if somebody says what else, you're not going to go. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess there's. <laughs> yeah, you can't. You, yeah. I mean, you can't do it. Like the uh, they immediately sniff out I that. To, <laughs> uh, kind of. I need to write. I need to, what I need to do is I really need to write a book on screenwriting currently. Because all the ones that are out there, like, you know, like Goldman's book is great, but it's so dated. The business has changed so much in just the last five years. What you need to write is is the book on pitching, because I think yeah. that that is a 101. I, and I got it uh, firsthand going through it myself with my buddy Chris Black, who is working on um, a guy who created Walking Dead. Robert Kirkman? Kirkman doing a show Dare for about? Cinemax, I think, yeah. now. Cool. Anyway, uh, maybe I shouldn't talk about that. Uh, but he he has been he's been on staffs. He's been on Mad Men and Ugly Betty and, right. and Star Trek Enterprise, and and so he's got a wide range of stuff. But he's when he gets done with those jobs, he's always pitching, always pitching. Well, always yeah, pitching. I mean that's and, that's and there is a skill to that that's absolutely. completely different than than writing, directing, anything yeah. else. It is doing PR for yourself in a way that is very specific and specialized. And, and, it, you and changes. To, and you have to be able to tell a story. I mean, you really, yeah. you're in a room, and the, and really, <laughs> this this is where my D&D skills come in handy, is I'm in a room <laughs> oh, yes. with people, yes. and I'm like walking them through the story, the scenario, and telling them what has to do. This I don't give them dice, <laughs> but... Are you dressed in a funny costume? <laughs> this is what I was Depends. waiting for. The, this is where the D&D skill comes back to help you. I, yeah. I am utilizing my, uh, my – what was the name of the, the guy who uh, – the, the guy who's telling the story, who's creating the scenarios? Uh, the Dungeon Master. Dungeon Master. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I love that. Your Dungeon Master skills yeah. come back to uh, – it didn't, it didn't occur to me until I pitched an, like an actual like – medieval sword and sorcery movie right. and i'm like halfway through and i'm like i need to give you some dice what the hell is happening here <laughs> i'm like giving him choices i don't know it's <laughs> that's funny. um but yeah no pitching is absolutely important and you can't have this the one idea yeah so let's talk about um and we'll wrap things up here in a little bit but i want to hear some of the other things that you that you love that you're passionate about we got through you know a couple of the early movies but in in specifically the horror genre uh we're going to assume Texas Chainsaw Massacre right up there. Sure. Are, are there some weird ones, obscure ones, ones that you love that um, nobody knows about? Oh, my God. Well, actually, the, the directors that were just hired for, for uh, Leatherface. Yeah, I'm not familiar with these guys. Uh, they're French. Yeah. That's why. And you were just on a – do they speak English? Yes, very well. Halting? Oh, okay, I, good. M- much better than my French, which is non-existent. But they have a little bit of a culty following yes. in that genre. And their first movie is one – that I that that I like champion that people hadn't a lot of people haven't seen. Um, you can get it. You can find it. It's what, on DVD. It's called it? The Inside. Whatever The Inside, but in French. This is the one that got them the most acclaim, right? Yeah. And they made it. I mean, it's. I mean, in a nutshell, it's a it's a pregnant woman home alone, and there's a home invasion from a crazy woman who basically wants to take her baby out of her stomach. And it's just it's all in the house. It's in, it's like it's like the horror version of Die Hard with a pregnant woman and no creepy German dudes with Uzis. So nothing like Die Hard. <laughs> but, so 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 like Die Hard, except really not at all. Not at all. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, is Bruce Willis in it? No. Okay. But if he was, it'd be totally different. Is there a wisecracking New York cop in there? No. All right. That would have made it really good, though. Japanese businessman? No. No. <laughs> just some French. Just so some, literally nothing just like. Just some French ladies. Okay. All um, right. But it was intense, and it was good, and, and it didn't get a big viewership over here, so I championed that. Um, so in terms of, of the script that you're writing, do you feel – because they the, the script was greenlit with the company before the directors were assigned, yes? Yeah, and, and it wasn't – and like and this wasn't a case of me going in and pitching them saying, you should do Leatherface. This was my, my manager getting a call saying, we're doing Leatherface. We're looking for, we're looking for writers that do this. And like they knew, one, that I write fast because they need, they need to go – they need to move really quick on it. And two, they'd read, and this, again, this is part of what happens, is you write your scripts, they get read, and then they, they don't want to make your movie, but they like what you did, so you got to come, go back to them and tell them how to do their movie. Oh, wow. So I was, I was actually at, I was at Comic-Con uh, shooting some, some interviews, directing some inter, uh, interviews with some comic book people, and my, my manager was just blowing up my phone, and they wanted to talk to me, and like, I literally had about two hours to make up a pitch and get on the phone with them in between my shooting schedule at Comic-Con. And that's, that's more, I do that more than anything else. I'd say more than even writing at this point is company A has this idea, how would you do it? And then you pitch on that. Interesting. So they were going to do Leatherface without me. So everyone can hate me for there being a prequel, but they were going to make it regardless. Either way. So if someone comes to me and says, hey, we're going to pay you to write the backstory on a horror icon. Like, I'm not going to say no to that. <laughs> That's like a dream job. But So so are you happy the, with the fact that these guys are directing it? Yes. And they, you feel like that whatever vision you're going to bring to this, they can do, do yeah. it well. I mean, my, it's, it's, it's a good match, you're yeah. saying. I mean, the pitch, basically, like, you know, you think Young Leatherface and there's kind of a story that pops into most people's heads. And that's a story that everybody on the Internet has in their head that they hate. And it's not like, you know, it's not little Leatherface, you know, being bullied in high school and pushed into his right. locker. Or, or, no the, matter how or, much the, I, or the mother, the, you know, the terrible mother. who Right. Did, yeah. And no matter how much I, I, I tweeted those like, like fake lines from that idea, that's not really what it is. Um, did you did you toy with the while, fandom? Yeah, it's hard. I, I'll come remind me. I'll come back to that because I want to say something about that. All right. But anyway, so no, I, we'll wrap up with that. I pitched up. I pitched the idea. They liked it. I wrote the script. And then based on the first draft, they hired the directors, and they, they, they want to do it because they like the script, so thankfully there's not a lot of changes. Okay, perfect. Um, I talked with them this morning, and basically the notes they gave me, and they're like, here's some disgusting, scary sequences that we thought up for you to like slot into the story. Um, so that's my, that's my next Did you bit. like them? Oh, yeah. No, they're great. I mean, yeah. they're, they're crazy, weird, gory, French, new wave. I mean, the French, the new wave horror French scene right now is insane. Like it's, wow, I don't it's a know. Thing. Okay, I have to go find this yeah. now and watch it through <laughs> part of my fingers, yeah. um, probably. The, yeah. What el- What else do you love? What else do I love? Like in life? Well, sure. I mean, like favorite chili? book. Favorite book. Oh, um, oh I love chili. Chili is good. Oh, where can you get chili? Uh, around favorite here? book. Can you get chili in L.A.? Let's talk oh, about chili a little. Chili, bit. my soul, but it's gone now. Just up the street from yeah, here. Yeah. Well, don't tease me because I, I thought you were going to tell me it's back. <laughs> no, it shut down in Encino. It was the best that was place it. ever. That was it. Uh, favorite book is uh, Neuromancer by William Gibson. Ooh. Sci-fi. Very Blade Runner-ish. Uh, comic books? Uh, comic books. Um, I read a lot. Right? I'm, I've been a fan of the X-Men since I was about 10 years old. I've been not reading X-Men probably straight through for 20, 30 years. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a... You know, through various ups and downs and levels of quality and ridiculousness. And how are you? Are you? Have you reached uh, superhero movie fatigue no. yet? 
I don't think so. I, I don't. I don't. Did think... it help the Guardians of the Galaxy actually turned out kind of to be pretty sure. good? <laughs> I don't see it. At, I mean, this isn't um, the job I had at Comic Con. I work with uh, ComicBookResources dot com. Uh, my friend runs a site, and I would uh, direct video shoots that we that uh, he does with interviews with comic creators. And that's a question he gets asked constantly. Is like he's got you know people from various radio stations and CNN calling him for his expert opinion. Like, when's this superhero bubble going to burst? And that's, well, it better not burst before 2019 because both major companies have their slate oh, they got filled. The slate. <laughs> it's weird to look at that and think like they're that planned that far out. Yeah. Um, but no, I don't think it's going to burst because it's not just. It's not just. I don't think of them as just superhero movies. I think of that as the natural extension of the summer genre tentpole blockbuster movie that started with Star Wars. Right. And like that has changed in the set dressing, like what that is, like after Star Wars, it was sci-fi for a while and then it, it shifted, but there's always every summer since Star Wars, there's been a big genre E movie for the summer. Yeah. And like they, they fit that mold to me. And, well, also, you can even kind of, if you really want to dig into it, you can kind of find that kind of Joseph Campbell iconic, you know, heroic yeah. figure kind of thing. They they fit, they do fit the the diehard mold. I sure. mean, they, they you could find almost any hero movie, and it's just the fact that they can do uh, costumes, set design, yeah. uh, effects, and all the things that they could never do before very well. They can just do that now, but it's still the same basic framework of that kind of troubled hero. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I think that I think that's just kind of become part of the cinematic uh, landscape. I think it's like that's a type of movie people are always going to want now. Yeah. Um, just like people are always going to want horror movies. There's certain things that become entrenched that people will always crave. And right now, the superhero movies are doing that. Eventually, they'll probably be replaced by something else that does that thing, but isn't necessarily about a dude in a cave. Well, it's, I, I go. Speaking to that, horror films continue to do very, very well. They, I mean, it's the even, only genre that's never had a downswing. Yeah, even poorly executed ones. Even yeah. I mean, you could go in and artistically say some of these things just really fall short, but people go. Yeah. They just go. They do. Uh, which bodes well for you, Mr. Hero. <laughs> for now, yes. Uh, so you like chili. Uh, what else in life do you like? <laughs> Favorite band? Favorite band? Oh, my God. Um, that's so hard. Come on. Okay, give me three. Three. What's the first thing um, that jumped in your head? First thing that jumped in my head is I, I maybe not so much now, but like being in the '90s, I was a big uh, Nine Inch Nails fan. That makes perfect sense. To uh, me. Yeah, I mean, like through the '90s, I'm not not as big of a fan now as I used to be. Um, what do I listen to but now? That, but there's a band, you know, from a musical standpoint and visual standpoint that really, you know, Reznor totally married that yeah. perfectly and especially for your, in your wheelhouse it's funny because now that you put it like that because uh, you mentioned my son wearing the Devo hat right I'm not sure how it happened but there's been a big like Devo resurgence in the house lately and uh, so we've been <laughs> not listening worldwide to, just in your no, house just in our house and in the, in the car especially a lot of Devo <laughs> in the car um, but that's another band that very much had a concept and a visual oh, yeah. idea that they stuck to and you know made that part of the part of their story um, uh, the tubes at all? Did you get into them? Uh, a little bit before my time. Yeah, flaming I mean, lips. A little bit, somewhat, yeah, a little somewhat. Bit. Okay. Um, yeah, I love. Just guessing I was now, taking huge... stabs in the dark. <laughs> Garth Brooks. No, I, I, um... <laughs> huge visual sense. <laughs> that swinging rope thing he does. <laughs> that's uh, that's a... straight out of the pit oh, in the pendulum, God. right there. It's just it is horrific. Thank its you. Own special a Poe reference. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very proud um, of myself. Go ahead. What else do I like? I, I mean. My life has gotten very simplified. I got, you know, get rid of clutter, get rid of things I don't need to do. Yeah. And like, I just, it's, uh, I'm very grateful. So it's, it, it, it's, 
life is full of good things, says the guy who writes, you know, horrible, violent movies. <laughs> Look, dude, it, you, you're you're realizing a life stream, basically. Even when you didn't know it at the time, you yeah. you followed the path. I mean, this is what I like to talk about, is that you, another thing, and I, I kind of keep coming back to the same thing, so anybody who's listening to any of these podcasts will hear me say the same thing over and over again. But, you know, it's one thing to have a dream. It's another thing to be able to adapt the dream as life goes on, because it almost yeah. never turns out the way. I mean, no. what, what did you... What did you think you were going to be when you were when younger? I was little? Um, for a long time, I didn't know. I think about in high school, once I started aiming towards art school, I thought I wanted to be a, a Disney Imagineer. Oh, wow. Cause it seemed, and like, which is funny, because one thing I've always done is worked with more than one medium. And like, I knew I was <clears throat> a storyteller, but I also knew, really, I always had this visual drive and you know and I've, and I've directed a few short films you may have been in one of them i was um no <laughs> um but like i i <laughs> it's one of my favorite roles it's as a matter of fact. the best um <laughs> but like i think like that was a that was a that was the only thing i could envision other than making movies that like where i had it would have an ability to like tell a story and be visual about it um i mean really i wanted to make movies but like it was just never something that like was that accessible to didn't me. seem within your grasp yeah especially you know growing up in oregon but then even coming here it still seemed like it was out of my reach it wasn't until <laughs> i went to a and this is the short film that you're in what i did this for was uh did it for was, uh, i started taking classes at lacc which i will plug them to whoever will ask me as the best like blue collar film school ever good um, good and the reason i started doing it was because I didn't want to pay my student loans from grad school, which were horrific, um, where you go to, you t- you, if you're part time, your loans go into deferment. So I'm like, I got to find something to do so I don't have to pay my student loans. I'm like, wow, this is a community college that offers film classes. That could be fun. So I started taking them and it's like, you know, 130 bucks for a class. And it's the same teachers who teach at UC- USC and UCLA. And I didn't need after I had gone to school twice, I didn't need more art history. I didn't need more aesthetics. I didn't need to be right. taught. I just needed... You need I to just get your needed, hands on a camera. Exactly. You go to that. They're like, here, take this ancient Russian 16 millimeter film camera and go do something. <laughs> and like, you know, eventually they had, I ran out of classes to take and they had to give me like a, you know, certificate. Um, and then you had to start paying the loans. And then I had off. to start paying the loans. But like <laughs> it was when, that was when I started doing stuff there. And the time I started, it was kind of at the tail end of uh, mini DV being like the cheap format du jour, right before the HD revolution. And it was just so easy. It's like I taught myself Final Cut. I taught, you know, I learned everything I could there about shooting stuff. And it just became so easy to do stuff. And that's and that's the piece of advice I give people who ask me who aren't in L.A. Like, how do I how do I get into movies when I don't live in L.A.? And that's just the answer is you just got to make it's so easy now you, yeah, totally. to make things. Oh, I mean, boy. you can if I would have had. The, the the easy digital tools just 10 years earlier. I mean, like I started doing it like in my late twenties, if I had had like a Mac with final cut and like a, you know, and a, just a small video camera when I was 13, my life would be totally different. Are now. you kidding me? Super eight film in Odessa, Texas <laughs> and having to drop it off and crossing your fingers at the drugstore right? and getting it back maybe a week later and then finally seeing, oh, crap, I overexposed that, or I got a finger on that. I mean, there's so many things that, however, having said that, I'm so glad I, I worked that no, way. I learned to be incredibly yeah, efficient. Absolutely. In film school, we always had 
like you know raw stock left over yeah because my buddy was in ohio we did the same exact thing oh for we sure basically you know edited in the camera maybe two takes and we would always go <laughs> why is everybody still you know sweating it out we would right. finish our film like with two weeks left and be sitting around it's so, changed so much. i was on i was on uh on set on something i wrote recently and we were uh shooting with an experimental camera it's a it's for, it for the oculus rift you know this the, the the vr goggle system oh my god you are talking to, are you talking french now did no, you no, suddenly okay. pick Face, up facebook bought the technology it's basically like virtual reality they're goggles you put on right instead of being like the usual see bad cgi out in front of you right they shoot film with like a 360 degree camera and so when you put these goggles on and turn your head, it's like you're actually looking around in a real photographed space. Unbelievable. And so we were doing one of these. And like, if you can see the camera, the camera can see you. So the, I was, you know, behind the set wall. So the director, to be able to watch it, had to literally hide in a box on set with a peephole so he could like <laughs> do, see what was so going on. So he'd be on. out of the frame, yeah. And the camera being in 360, what it was was a rig made up of like a, a ton of GoPros all rigged together. Uh-huh. And it has to go through a software to like stitch it together. So, and that t- that's a process. So at the time, like being right there, you couldn't do playback. And like, it's funny because the director saying, he's like, he's like, hi, I don't know what we're doing. There's no playback. I don't know. I, I wish I could see what you were shooting. And I'm like, and he's like, how do you, how do you, how does someone do this? And I'm like, it's kind of like getting dailies. It's kind of like what the business was 10 years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. How about not having 100 levels of undo and yeah. having to, to, to sift through <laughs> the trim bin when you've realized oh that you God. cut out a very important part of film with with the, you know, the the slicer and the right. tape you're putting on stuff. And I've, I've cut things on a, on a flatbed and I yeah. hated it. I mean, yeah. I'm so happy for technology. In oh that no, case. I was, I was more than happy to adapt because that was a pain <laughs> in the ass because I was not very organized. No. I'm still not even on a computer, but boy, when you're not organized <laughs> with actually tactile pieces of film, you are screwed. No, And I've just, I work far too messy and my fingers are too sweaty and it was just, it would have just been a tragedy. All right, final questions. Uh, this lead to directing, perhaps? Is that a goal? It's a goal. It's not an immediate goal because I don't. Uh, I'm still working on my reel. You know, I make a short film, like maybe once every year or so. Um, I just did one that's going being submitted to festivals now that came out really, really well called Fruitcake. Oh, sweet! Um, about '50s housewives being given lobotomies uh, the same way Prozac is handed out now. <laughs> um, and uh, that came out really well, and I'm planning to do another one. So I think. It's definitely something that I want to do, but it's not something like I'm like pushing my reps to like, you know, do because I just don't have the reel and the credit for it yet. But I mean, ultimately, that would be the goal. Plus, writers get zero credit. Right. Like, you know, everybody hated Leatherface just in concept. And as soon as the directors were hired, like, oh, now it'll be good. (laughs) Like they didn't read the story. They knew nothing of the story. But just the addition, just the fact that it existed, suck. These guys coming on, good. (laughs) Well, then, so let's wrap up with that then. Let's address (laughs) both. The fanboys who are like can, are wetting themselves over the idea of mm-hmm. it, and the haters who immediately jumped on you. Uh, what, what, what's the projection for this to actually come out? Uh, probably Halloween next year. Halloween next year. It's, yeah, we'll probably start shooting in the spring. It's so here's your fast. chance. I'm, I'm giving the microphone over to you. Here's <laughs> your chance to address both sides of the, that issue with whatever you would like to tell them right now uh, at a little less than a year, potentially, for Leatherface, the film, to be released. And it's all your Seth M. Sherwood, everybody. Sexy Seth M. Sherwood. All right. As a person who has been on the internet and angry about things, 
movies specifically star like, star wars movies specifically the the, the last three that yeah, were produced. I, mean, <laughs> I feel after after getting my share of internet hate i feel like i owe george lucas an apology letter for the amount of shit that i <laughs> talked um do you forgive him for jar jar binks n- no okay. but but here's the thing is everyone, sorry i interrupted Go no, ahead. no 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 it's okay it's like we hate those movies we love to hate those movies but they're all all three of them are in the within the top 20 box office of all time as an angry voice on the internet, I had to accept not long ago that y- those voices, why they seem overwhelming, are actually not representative. Um, and for better or for worse, the movies that perform well and do well aren't always the best movies. And it's you know it can be sad to see the state of you know the intelligence level of the general populace that really want to go see Transformers Part Four. Um, and I really have to stop talking shit because I who knows who I could get job offers from or not from now. <laughs> no, I love this. Um, but like, I, it, it's angry internet is so small compared to. I mean, like everyone uses the internet. Not everyone takes the time to create a username and go onto a website and bitch about the fact that something exists. I mean, surprisingly, most people aren't that petty. <laughs> I am, and I know a lot of my friends are, and it's and it's hard because like I go to all these websites as a fan that post the story about me, and then people respond, and I'm like I'm already logged into the comment system. It's like my I could just type one word, hit enter, and they'll see my name and my response. It's like literally like right there, and like I just I just I know I have to like force myself not to engage in it because one, if they're passionate enough to hate it then it's probably a good thing because they're going to go see it. If they're passionate to love it, they're going to go see it. I mean, that's why George Lucas laughed to the tune of, you know, billions of dollars right. is because like you can hate it all you want, but a big fan is still going to go see it. It's, it's who you, who you need to catch is the person who's on the fence. Who's not saying yeah. anything. Yeah. I'd rather have somebody hate than be ambivalent right. about something I do. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I can't take the hate seriously. All right. So Sorth, uh, so Seth Sherwood is says saying, bring the hate, bring it on. I love it. He's ready for it. It just bounces off him. Thank you so much for having me come back to this building. <laughs> is it weird? It is. Is it, it is it, its own little kind of horror? I, I horror forgot thing? about the traffic and the heat and the parking situation <laughs> in this part of the valley. Good. I I expect to see some. This is somehow this will a new idea will be born. You'll be pet, pitching something about this place. <laughs> <laughs> this part of the valley is a horror story in and of itself. That's what I was hoping for. <laughs> Seth, good luck, man. Thank you very much. To... Thank you. Get a monkey. Get a monkey! Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey.